Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through Ephesians, and in the previous message, I was in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, speaking about forgiveness. In verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And in the previous two messages, I was spending a lot of time in verse 7, explaining that there are a lot of people who do not want to believe that they have been forgiven. This is often because they enjoy the sacramental, ceremonial, and sacrificial systems. These religious practices make them feel good, and so they don't want to stop doing these things. You also have the religious leadership who are making some money off of these systems because people will have to provide the resources for the leadership to be able to provide the facilities and the altar and the other accessories that go along with the services that are provided so that people can obtain their forgiveness and feel good. So there's a lot of money involved in this, a lot of money to be made in order to support these systems. And this is why they will always exist, because there are people who want to feel good. And so they will pay to feel good. And this is how people will do this, regardless of how God may feel about the subject of forgiveness. And so I was explaining this in the previous couple of messages. I'm going to move forward into verse 8 which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. What did he abound towards us? He abounded his forgiveness. He made his forgiveness abound toward us. And this was an act of wisdom, and it was an act of prudence. The idea of prudence is that you are making a careful and good judgment such that you are avoiding risks and dangers that could result as a consequence of the decisions or actions that you make. This is the idea of prudence. When it comes to wisdom, it is considering the long-term effects in general. You're not so short-sighted in terms of what may occur, what may be the consequences or the side effects of the decisions or the actions that people make. You may be resolving conflict or overcoming obstacles, but in doing it in certain ways, you might increase the conflict, create new conflicts, or create new obstacles through the solution that you give because the solution was not so wise. So when it comes to wisdom and prudence, as is described in verse 8, we have to consider that God found it to be a wise and prudent act to forgive the sins of the world. Now, just as I explained in the previous couple of messages about forgiveness, that from a theological perspective, 
people have put in a lot of effort in order to contradict, reject the idea that we have been completely forgiven. So also what people will tend to do is they will tend to suggest that the forgiveness of God, if it is understood as being a complete forgiveness for the sins of the entire world, people suggest that that's not so wise, is definitely not so prudent because of the concern of what people might do if they find out that they are forgiven. Consider the religious institutions, just to give you an example. If the people who are participating in the ceremonial, sacramental, and sacrificial systems discover that God doesn't hold their sins against them anymore, if they find out that that's really true, that that really is complete, well then, there's no reason for them to participate in the religious, ceremonial, sacramental, and sacrificial systems anymore. Because those things just simply won't make any sense. And so there is enormous risk involved in a Christian person who is participating in one of these Christian religious institutions. There is enormous risk if they find out that they have been forgiven. Enormous risk because it's unlikely that they will continue to give their money to support this kind of a system, this kind of an institution, and in order to pay the staff members, the pastor, and -and so-and-so, in order to provide these services that people are enjoying, that people engage in so that they may feel good because they are going to get something from God. But if a person discovers that they already have forgiveness from God, Well, then these ceremonial, sacramental, and sacrificial systems become obsolete really quick, really fast. And so the risk is not what the people may do in terms of moving in the direction of truth. The risk is how are you going to pay for the facilities? How are you going to pay the salaries for all of the people involved in these religious practices? These people are going to have to Go find something else to do for work. That's the kind of risk that most people are faced with in the Christian world when there is a discussion about are we forgiven or are we not forgiven. Now, on the congregation side, you know, on the side of the people, there, of course, are a lot of legitimate concerns. For example, the most common one is What happens when a person discovers that God does not hold their sins against them anymore? Why would they cease from sinning? In fact, they may decide to further indulge their flesh because God no longer holds their sins against them. If God doesn't hold it against them, well, then what is the incentive People will try to find other incentives, such as, well, it's just not good for you. And, you know, I can appreciate that. I think that's a good reason. But it's not going to be enough in order to encourage a person well enough to let go of the sin in their lives. In general, it does happen sometimes. But in general, we need a lot more to go on than it's just not good for us because we believe that it is. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it anyway. So it may not be as good as an alternative, but many people will see it as, well, it's good enough. And so just saying that it's not good for you isn't going to do it. 
So people will have to default to something that sounds like the carrot or the stick, either rewards or punishment, the beatings or the blessings. It's going to have to be one of these things in order to give people the incentive to let go of the sin in their life. Because if we tell them that they are forgiven and God does not hold their sins against them anymore, well, they might they might just use that truth inappropriately. So is it prudent? Is it wise for God to forgive a person when they might use that truth inappropriately? Well, you have to consider that there's a lot more going on than just whether we're going to get somebody's flesh under control or not. There's a lot more going on. For example, God is interested in people being in his life because they want to know him as a person, because they want to know the love that he has for them that it doesn't have anything to do with the issue of sin. It has to do with other issues, other topics. But what most people usually start with is that they are concerned that people are going to use this truth inappropriately and they're going to use it to go out and indulge their flesh and this is enormous risk. But what people don't often consider is the probability that a person is going to go out and engage in that sin anyway. Is the carrot or the stick really incentive enough? Is it working? And the answer is no. If you were to really look into it, as I have, I think you will agree with me. You will discover that in general, well, okay, sometimes it does help, of course. But in general, no, this doesn't have any effect on any people's lives at all. They are going to engage in this sin, whether God holds it against them or not. So if he doesn't, it's no different than if he does. This is the issue related to risk or danger, that will he do something that will increase the sin in a person's life through forgiveness? Will he do this? And in general... I have found that people will, in effect, engage in these sins regardless. And so there is no risk in forgiving people because people are going to do it anyway. Now, I do know of people, I have encountered a lot of people who have listened to me, who have studied the work that I have done. There has been some people who did use the truth of forgiveness inappropriately because they tell me this. This is how I know. They tell me later that they used the truth of forgiveness as an excuse to go out and indulge their flesh. They just went about and said, well, you know, God forgives me anyway, and so it doesn't matter. What's the big deal? You know, I can do this and God doesn't hold it against me. Now, they are smart enough to know not to say this out loud not to just go out and proclaim this, because anybody is going to look at them and say, that just does not seem right. Why would God give you some kind of special permission to go out and indulge your flesh and engage in sin? That's effectively what you're saying. You're using the truth of forgiveness inappropriately in order to go and indulge your flesh. So people don't usually proclaim this, advertise this, say this, because People just know that that is wrong. People just know that. Even the people who engage in that, because they tell me later, they say, you know, I just, I knew it was wrong, 
But I just did it anyway because I just really wanted to engage in that sin. But you know what? They would have engaged in that sin anyway. And so this is why providing forgiveness for the sins of the world is still wise and prudent. Because, yes, there are people who may proclaim that they are using this truth inappropriately, but they would have engaged in that sin anyway. And so God is not really losing anything. Whether people are forgiven or not doesn't really matter in the general scheme of things. It just doesn't really matter. You know, most people, they don't even care. You tell them God forgives you. He's provided you with his forgiveness. And they will say, ah, you know, so what? I, you know, I don't care whether he forgives me or not. You know, if he forgives me, ah, good for him. You know, but for me, this is me. This is how I live. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. And people will just do that anyway. And so God does not lose anything in the sense of an increase in sin. He does not create an increase in sin because people would have engaged in that sin whether they were forgiven or not. Now again, of those who have told me that they did use that truth for that purpose, they told me when they were done. That's when they tell me. They contact me and they say, Aaron, you know what? You were absolutely right. I did that or I tried to do that for a while and it just didn't work out. It was absolutely miserable. It was painful. It was ridiculous. I was living a dishonest life, and eventually it got to them. And so if those kinds of things may occur, well, you know, it's just going to be a matter of time before that person is confronted with the truth to the extent that they will abandon that kind of pursuit. And if they're not, well, then I would suggest that they simply are not saved anyway. But those who are saved who go down that path, they always return. They always come back to reality, as far as I'm aware of. They always come back to reality, and they move forward in the Christian faith and continue to pursue their God from a healthy and righteous and productive point of view. So in this way, the idea of there being risk of what people might do with that truth, God is wise And he has been prudent. And in effect, he really has lost nothing through what he has already done when it comes to the issue of forgiveness. You know, if a person does experience a significant increase of sin in their lives, this can be a good thing to the extent that it will crush that person sooner than it would have otherwise that hopefully the sin in their life will be increased to the magnitude, to the point, to the extent that they will feel a great sense of despair and recognize that this is not the way of Christ Jesus. And they will have an opportunity to repent. And so even the pursuit of the indulgence of the flesh can lead a person to the right end if they were sincere about that, and if they were the kind of person who genuinely wanted to know their God, who really wanted to have a real and living experience with the real, true, and living God. If a person wants that, they will eventually make their way in the direction of the truth that our God has revealed 
and they will embrace that truth in the proper and appropriate way. Of course, there are some people who abuse others, who are highly abusive towards others, disrespectful and dishonorable and deceptive and manipulative and dishonest. Of course there are. And when their sin is discovered, they will relate to people in a way that they expect to be forgiven. You may know people like this. I would be surprised if you didn't. You should know. A few people, if you know enough people, you will encounter someone at least who relates to others in this way, that they violate other people, and then they expect to be forgiven, of course, because the person who they abused is a good person. And so that person, you know, especially if they're a Christian, they have to forgive. Because if they don't, well, God might have something to say about that. And so you had better forgive, or you are not a good Christian, you're not a good person, God may not forgive you. You know, like he said, you forgive others or God will not forgive you. He said that in the Sermon on the Mount. And, of course, there's a lot that I have to say about that in the series that I produced on forgiveness. But this is how people will manipulate passages like this and situations like this to say that they are free to abuse anyone they want because that person has to forgive them. And if they don't, well, then the abuser becomes the victim. The abuser becomes the victim. Oh, woe is me. I was not forgiven by this other person. This person didn't forgive me. And, you know, I may not even need to acknowledge what it was that I did wrong. I probably won't acknowledge what I did wrong. But they should have forgiven me anyway. Why is it that they won't have anything to do with me? Why won't they talk with me? Why won't they let me come into their home and and abuse their children in the same way? You know, that sort of thing. There really are people like this in the world. Is this the kind of person who wants to know God? Of course not. And so if God forgives them, if he forgives them, do you think he's losing anything really? You know, whether he forgives them or not just isn't going to have any relevance. And so to be wise and to be prudent is to say that, yes, God can forgive these people, but they're still going to go to hell. As I explained in the previous messages, The gospel, the good news, is about sin, death, forgiveness, and the restoration of life. And these people are a bunch of forgiven dead people who will not have a place among the living in the kingdom of heaven. And so there are lots of people who have been forgiven, but God will have nothing to do with them at all because They have no interest in having anything to do with him according to the relationship that he is willing to have with them. What this means is, is that there are only certain kinds of people who will embrace the forgiveness that God has given for the reasons that he gave the forgiveness that he gave. He was very wise. He was very prudent because of those who would respond in the appropriate way. Those of us who want to have a genuine relationship with our God, we are the ones who will be honest about our need for forgiveness. 
We will be honest about our depravity before our God. We will be truthful. We will understand that we have no hope outside of his grace and mercy. The end of verse 7, according to the riches of his grace. Into verse 8, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence because of what would happen next. What happens afterwards? When we embrace the complete forgiveness of sins, that is not the end. That is the beginning of walking into a new life in Christ Jesus. To be born again by the Spirit and start out as a baby, as a child of God, and mature and grow over time, over the discovery of the forgiveness that we have and how that might be an integral part of our lives. This is what being a Christian is about. It is about the discovery of what we have in Christ and how we might be able to apply that in our daily lives. And forgiveness is a part of the inheritance that we have received as a result of his death, not to be used for the purpose of justifying the indulgence of the flesh, but for the purpose of living a new life in Christ Jesus with what we have been given. As an example, in the law, you are to forgive others or God will not forgive you. That is defined well in the Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant, in the new relationship that we have with our God, we have already been forgiven, and so we forgive others with the forgiveness that we have received. There is a huge difference between forgiving others in order to obtain forgiveness from God and forgiving others with the forgiveness that we have already obtained from God. There is a huge difference between the two. They cannot coexist simultaneously. It is either one or the other. And the one of forgive others or God will not forgive you is for the lost, is for those who need to be properly informed that they have a need for the riches of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. Once a person embraces that, the kind of person who will embrace that is the kind of person who God wants. And once a person embraces that and lives with the forgiveness that they have, the more that we grow to understand the forgiveness that we have, the more that that becomes an integral part of our own lives, the more we will be able to forgive others with the forgiveness that we have received. And that is an expression of the love of God that can only be real in the new covenant. And it can only be real within the kind of person who genuinely wants to know their God and be a representative of him, be a reflection of him, be a testimony of him throughout eternity. That is the kind of person who will respond in the proper way. So this is the exercise of his wisdom and prudence. It is to obtain the kind of person that he wants in his life. And the rest of the people, he doesn't lose anything because they would have indulged their flesh just the same. And I will continue into verses 9 and 10 in the next program. 
You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.